Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Great to see you, and uh, glad you're you're here. Um, The wrath of God. We're going to talk about that today. The anger of God, the fury of God, the judgment of God. And uh, we get a a little uncomfortable when we speak about that. And some of you are already asking the common question of our culture is, wait a minute, how could a God of love also be wrathful, right? That's that's a good question. I think that's a darn good question. In fact, I hope you're asking that because I've prepared to try to answer that. And if you're not interested in that, go ahead and take a nap. But um, how could a loving God be wrathful? How could a God of love be angry? How could a God of love judge someone? You know, until we, until we understand the fury of God, the wrath of God, the severity of God, we cannot understand the love of God because they are intertwined. They are not opposites. They reside in the one person of the Lord God Almighty, uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And also until we, until we understand the mess that we are in, we won't understand the grace of God. Until we understand how much trouble human beings are in, we will be flippant or casual toward the saving grace of God. You know, the right question is, The right question is not how can a loving God be angry? The right question is how can a loving God not be angry? Uh, The question is not how could a loving God send anybody to hell? The right question is how could a holy and just God wait so long? Now we, you say, I just, you know, our we don't like to talk about this. You don't see it in writing very much. Um, you don't hear it taught very much. Uh, there are several reasons for that. We just don't like, but but because we would rather make God in our image rather than understand that we're made in His. You know, the scriptures say in Genesis that God created human beings in His image. And ever since, we human beings have been trying to create God in our image. We want Him to be like we want Him to be. Uh, I have, sometime in my past, growing up, and you may have, and you may certainly have heard other people say this when they're referring to God or in discussions, well, I like to think of God as... You ever heard that? Anybody? Let me see. I like to think of God as, and usually what comes next is not right. Usually what comes next is not right, or it's half right. Well, I like to think of God as a God of love. Well, good, He is that. That's not all He is. Some of you were raised in, um, in, in a faith, many of you weren't raised in a faith background, but the majority of you were, and you were raised in a, a faith background where you were taught that God never says no. 
And he was painted mainly as kind of the Santa Claus God or the, or the, the benign, benevolent, permissive grandpa God. Never says no. Others of you were raised in harsh religious backgrounds where God never said yes. And he, you always saw him as the enforcer God, the God who's out to get you and, and, and is going to get you. Uh, and that's, that's all you've ever seen of him. Both of those are wrong. Both of those are inaccurate. Both of those hold people in bondage. And it's important that we properly understand God because my view of God, your view of God, your understanding of the God of the Bible will affect every area of your life, your relationships, how you view life in eternity, what you do on your job, what you do not do, your ethics, your morality, your relationships. It affects everything. So it's important that we know Him and know who He is and, and, uh, and we get this right. Now, here's the deal. If we get it right, you're going to love Him. Even in His wrath, even in His love, his, because He is still the most lovable being that exists. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty, is the most lovable being that exists. And so if we understand Him rightly, if we see Him rightly, we're going to love Him. You're going to love Him rather than run from Him. And uh, also, if we understand Him rightly, we're going to be in awe of Him. Now, we, you say, where do you get all this? Well, we find the wrath of God all throughout the Scriptures, but today we're going to take a look <clears throat> and we'll see that the wrath of God is spoken of two times right in the same neighborhood as the most familiar love uh, uh, verse about God's love in the Bible. John 3.16. Take your Bibles. Hard copy or digital copy, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 3. Gospel of John chapter 3, fourth book in the New Testament. Um, you may, I want to give you time, uh, you know, we've got many folks that are young in the faith here and you might not be familiar with the Bible. Go to the table of contents, find the Gospel of John, not to be confused with the little letters 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, and then turn to chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 and verse 36. <clears throat> I'm going to read these aloud. You, you follow along. This is God's Word. For, and I'm reading out of the uh, Holman Christian Standard Version. Um, that's what I'm using these days in case you want to find that translation. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Verse 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God, the fury of God, the severity of God, the anger of God, the judgment of God, the condemnation of God on human beings is right there next to John 3.16. For God loved the world in this way. For God so loved the world. You say, Pastor, how can that be? 
It's because God's love is a furious love. It's because God's wrath is a loving wrath. They go together. They are one and the same. How can a loving God be wrathful? It's because God's love and God's wrath exist all in the same being. And they're all good. And they are all holy. Now, I, uh, I came to faith in Christ uh, back during the Jesus movement. Anybody here even know what I'm talking about when I say the Jesus movement? Few of, how many of you came to... You did. I know you did. You've told me. You did too. Came to Christ during the Jesus movement. A lot of great things. This 60s, 70s kind of a spiritual awakening that swept our country. A lot of good things came out of that. But Bill, one of the things that was not good was that our generation... Um, we were so excited about newfound, genuine faith in Christ that we, we took the pendulum of relating to God from here and we swung too far to the other side and that we became... Well, we looked at the spiritual background in which we had been raised, from which we had come, and we wrongly judged that as disingenuous, as going through the motions, the architecture, the stained glass, the music, the ritual, the liturgy. Uh, we, we saw that as disingenuous. What we did was we judged that background. You know, and we're the generation that hated judging. So, so we judged them. You know, how does that work? But just remember, if you find yourself judging people now, you're, you know what you are? You're judging. Uh, or you don't like people who judge? Busted. You're judging. So we, we judge that as disingenuous and, and, and as a response to some of that uh, uh, way of relating to God, we came all the way over here not to be genuine or authentic. We went beyond that to flippant. And we wrote songs like, Me and Jesus Got a Good Thing Going. Me and Jesus. You know that one, Bill? Did y'all ever sing that one? Bet you did. Now nah, you did. You're too cool. Whoever knew boys from Iowa could be cool, but they are. <clears throat> and uh, uh, so, but we, we, you know, we we adopted the Jesus is my buddy, and we trivialized God, and we still trivialize God. Uh, we we uh, we put God on T-shirts, and we reduced the message of God to a bumper sticker. And it's just, hey, Jesus is my buddy. When we go to the Scriptures and we see God revealed to human beings, we don't find them being flippant with God. We find them falling on their faces as if dead. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, in uh, Exodus chapter 33, uh, we find Moses, the prophet of God, going up on the mountain to, to relate to God and get God's message for the children of Israel. Moses began to pray to God and he, he asked for three things. He said, Lord, um, will you continue to teach us your ways that we might find favor with you, continue to know you and find favor with you? Prayed for God's favor and teaching. Then he prayed for God's presence. He said, Lord, would you please go with us on the journey from Egypt to the 
promised land because we, we want your presence. And then he dared to pray, show me yourself. And he said it this way, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. That means show me yourself as you really are. Show me uh, yourself in all of your majesty, in all of your greatness, in all of your power, in all of your knowledge, in all of your immense size, in all of your brilliant, blazing holiness and purity. Show me, show me yourself. Show me your glory. And, and as we see people in the Scriptures who got a glimpse of God as He really is, like Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet of God, said, writes in the, his writings in the book of Isaiah. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah was a big prominent king. He says, in, in that year, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what did Isaiah say when he saw the Lord? Hey, Jesus, my buddy. No, 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 no. He fell on his face and he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He, when he saw God, he began to see himself as he really was in his sinfulness. And how he, our sinfulness cannot survive the blazing brilliance of the holiness of God. Because in Him is light and there is no darkness at all. He has no tolerance for evil. He has no tolerance for sin. It is so serious that it cost Him the life of His very Son and yet we laugh it off. We laugh it off. And we minimize our sinfulness. We say, it's no big deal. Oh, nobody's perfect. But when Isaiah saw God, he fell on his face and he repented of his sin. The Apostle Peter, when he was uh, with Jesus in the early days of the ministry of Jesus on this earth, Peter and a couple, few of the other fishermen were out on the Sea of Galilee and the Lord Jesus was in the boat with him. Jesus had said, let's, let's go out fishing. Well, these were commercial fishermen. I mean, they, you know, they didn't have a fly rod. They weren't doing this for fun. They'd been out fishing all night, hadn't caught anything. They were worn out. They were tired. They spent their life doing this. And here's this carpenter who's now a rabbi. says, let's go out and cast the nets. Well, Lord, you know, if you say so. So they go out and the Lord performs a miracle. And the nets are full of fish. And, and, and for, a, for a moment there, it was almost a, the, a little bit of the humanity of the Lord Jesus was peeled back. And the glory of the Lord God Almighty shone through and Peter saw him as he was, his response was, wow, look at the fish. Would you do another trick, Jesus? He immediately saw his own sinfulness. Lord, depart from me because I am a sinful man. He didn't trivialize the God of the Bible and make the deity down to a little manageable kind of toy Jesus that we put on our dashboard. No. Our God is an awesome God, Rich Mullins wrote. We use the word awesome for hamburgers and ice cream. Some idiot on television. Wow, that was an awesomely funny thing. I think the word awesome should be reserved only for the Lord God Almighty. 
Our God is an awesome God. It means He inspires awe, not flippance, not irreverence. Our God, as the Scriptures say, is a, a terrible God, a frightening God. The writer of the book of Hebrews, writing to the, to the Jewish Christians of the day, said, remember, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Of an angry God. So, my generation was the latest one who helped us become flippant about God. And so therefore, we have said, oh, God is a God of love. It says, it says in the book of 1 John, God is love. So how could a loving God be angry? Wrong question, remember. The right question is, how could a loving God not be angry? The wrong question is not, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? It's, how could a holy God wait so long? So we're going to try to answer that today. And I'm going to teach you this passage backwards. Go to verse 36. Lord, would you help us open our eyes that we may see you as you really are as we do this. Verse 36 says, The one John the Apostle, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, penned these words to us. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, here we go. The wrath of God remains on him. What does that mean? Let me kind of explain it. One of the reasons that we're feeling a little uncomfortable, it's been a long time since it's been this quiet and this still in this room during the message, but it's noticeable for the pastor. Why are, is, why are we uncomfortable speaking of God as being wrathful, being furious, being angry? Well, it's because... We only really understand human anger, human rage, human malice. And so we compare the wrath of God to the wrath of humanity, our own wrath, our own anger. Well, what's that like? Well, God Himself says every time He addresses human beings as being angry or wrathful or raging or full of malice. He's saying it is sinful, it is wrong, and you should not do it. And if you do, you should repent. Matter of fact, he says you should rip it off like a dirty shirt. You should, you should do radical surgery and cut this anger and rage and malice off like a diseased arm or leg or foot. It's always seen as sinful. And we know our anger. We know our anger to be messed up. We're messed up. We're always angry at the wrong time. And we're always angry the wrong ways. Our anger is, our anger is uh, arbitrary. Our anger is moody. Our anger is sometimes explosive. It, it, is, uh, it is irrational. It is unreasonable. It is unpredictable. It is moody. It can build up and all of a sudden burst on the people that we love. It's, we, we see anger... As we see anger, God being described as angry or wrathful as sort of somehow being unworthy of God or being beneath God. It's because our anger is unworthy and, and sinful. We mess it up. But the anger of God is nothing like human anger. God is, God is never irrational. God is never moody. God is never out of control. 
And we see anger as cruel. We have, a, we have difficulty uh, believing in the wrath of God because we see it somehow as God being cruel. God is not cruel. He's never cruel. Never. Now we are in our anger. It's even with our own kids sometimes. We, we get angry because we feel neglected. We feel uh, 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 treated wrongly. And, and so we, we're irrational, we're moody, we're explosive, and we're cruel sometimes. But God is never cruel. But the wrath of God remains on a person who refuses to believe in the name of the one and only Son of God. What he's saying here is this. Anyone that you know who does not believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they are in terrible trouble. They're in terrible uh, danger. And if you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus, you do not believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are in terrible trouble not not will be, you are now in terrible trouble. Because this passage says you are not that you will be condemned, but you are already condemned. Not that the wrath of God will come upon you, but that the wrath of God remains upon you as we speak. As we speak. So, well, what in the world do you mean the wrath of God comes upon us? Well, let me describe the wrath of God. Here, here's a... Here's one definition, many definitions. Here's here's one definition. The wrath of God is is God's holy, just, morally pure character raging, opposing sin and evil in this world and in human beings. It is a holy, pure, loving, gracious, just God passing judgment on sin and evil in the lives of human beings. He opposes that. He opposes that. And so uh, we say, well, how can you say God's wrath is good, that it is loving? Well, here's how. Two ways, two ways. First of all, jump this down. First of all, God's wrath is always judicial means it has to do with passing, it is just. God's love is judicial and God's love is is parental. Let me explain that. God is a God of justice. God, the Bible says, in Him is light and there is no darkness at all. God has set standards and God loves His standards. In the Word of God, God has given us His, His moral and ethical and spiritual law. He has given us not a subjective right and wrong, but an objective right and wrong, but, but beginning with his top ten list, the Ten Commandments, and much more. He, this, he says, this is right, this is wrong. This is sinful, this is holy. This is good, this is bad. Now, our culture likes to say that there is no objective truth when it comes to matters of faith and philosophy. That every, and, and we have personalized God. Well, you got you relate to your God and I relate to my God and that's... That's very, that's very good. That's very good. But, but nobody is... The only time we get in trouble is when we say that we're correct. You just in our culture, you just can't say about religion that you're correct. Our culture rejects that. Yet God says, well, you can reject that all you want, but here it is. Here it is. God has given us His holy standards uh, 
for belief and behavior, for, for, for faith and practice. And it is objective. And God says that is holy. It is good. It is good. And God is holy. He is just. He is a God of justice. And therefore, He, he upholds His law. And when, and when people break His law by sinning against Him, rebelling against Him, going our own way instead of God's way, then God's love for His standards, God's love for holiness move into judicial action because the debt must be paid. And so His wrath is an expression of opposing the breaking of the moral and spiritual ethical standards uh, of God. Now, that doesn't say anything about how he feels toward the ones who break it necessarily. Let me give you an illustration. Let's imagine that a man walks in like he did in my hometown this past week and uh, middle of the day at gunpoint robs the local bank. How do you think the, the manager of that bank felt and the employees of that bank felt? They, they were mad. They were upset. They were rattled. Uh, they, they, they wanted something bad to be done to the man who robbed the bank. Now, how do you think that the judge uh, in Harrelson County feels about that robber? Not necessarily like the, like the bank manager. The judge recognizes we have laws that says you can't rob banks. It's against the law to rob banks. It's against the law to steal. It's against the law. And so the law has been broken, so justice must be served. We uphold the rule of law. In fact, the, the judge might be, might be just neutral as far as his feelings toward the robber personally. Or he might even know him. They might have been boys together. They might have been friends. Might even be a family member that he loves uh, desperately. Yet, yet, no matter, the law has been broken and therefore society is, the wrath of our culture is upon the robber. Remains on the robber until the debt is paid. The wrath, the sentence that says you can no longer vote, you can no longer hold office, you must spend this amount of time in prison until the debt is paid. And until the debt is paid, the judge and society, the wrath of the judge and the rule of law is, remains in, in settled opposition against the lawbreaker. You got that? Now what kind of judge would we have? We got one of my favorite jurists in this room today. We have several in our congregation and I admire them all, but what, how, what kind of judge would, would a judge be if he ignored the fact that this man robbed the bank? If he laughed it off, he said, oh, it's just money. It's just money. It's no big deal. I mean, humans will be humans. What, what kind of judge would we, how would we feel toward a judge who ignored the breaking of law in our culture? They ignored every murder. They ignored every rape. They ignored uh, every uh, act of domestic violence. They ignored every traffic violation, including drunk driving. I mean, this constantly, when, when cases would come up before them, before the bench, they'd just say, oh, <laughs> nobody's perfect. 
Nobody's perfect. It's just no big deal. How, how, how would we feel about them? We would be enraged, would we not? Where is the justice? Because we want justice, don't we? Don't we? Yeah, we want justice and, until it's us. Then we want mercy. So, so how could a just God not punish? How could a just judge not punish a bank robber? They couldn't and remain a just judge because they hold, they value the standards, the laws of our land. When, when God's wrath remains on a sinful human being like you and me, because we do not believe in the name of the Son of God, it means that He is in settled opposition to us because we have broken His law. And justice must be served. God's love is always just. It is judicial. And God's love is always parental in that He loves people and He loves His creation. And He brings His wrath against people who are ruining their lives and the lives of others and ruining His creation because of their sin. Of their sin. For example, uh, what kind of parent... Well, it's, I, I had a... Well, let me just... Over the years, I've had friends in my family and family members and friends in my church and community who decided to train wreck their lives. I've seen countless high school students and college students do it. They climbed over the Bible. They climbed over Jesus. They climbed over me. They climbed over their life group leader. They climbed over their mama and their daddy. They climbed over everything just so to do what God says don't do, and train wreck their lives. And then say, why'd God do this to me? No, no, no. You know what? how I feel when they do that? I had been mad at them. Why? Because I love them. I've had several friends over the years just slowly disintegrate because they were decided to drink alcohol, abuse alcohol, and they went down the road of abusing alcohol, became alcoholics, or they went down the road of abusing uh, drugs and, and uh, became addicted to drugs. And I'm going to them saying, what are you doing? And every time I was with them, I'd be mad at them because they were less and less and less like themselves. And it broke my heart. What kind of parent, what kind of father would you be? What kind of mom would you be if your kids disobeyed you and started reaping the consequences of disobeying you? They wrecked their cars. They get kicked out of school, they become addicted to drugs and alcohol. What kind of parent would you be if you just said, oh, it's just kids. It's just kids. Nobody's answering, but you'd be sorry and no count. That's what you'd be. You wouldn't be a, would, would people think that you're a loving parent if you had no concern? No, no. How could a loving parent not be angry at the kids they love train wrecking their own lives? How could they not be upset at that? Just so. How could a loving God not be angry at you and me who are intentionally train wrecking our lives by sinning against God? Because you see, God has set up the universe to operate uh, in, a, in alignment with, in accordance with the will and the ways He has laid out in the Bible according to His moral, spiritual, and ethical Standards. And when we break those, we self-destruct. It's just like the law of gravity. If, I, if, if you 
get up in the balcony and decide to jump off, you know, no one's going to give you a ticket because you broke the law of gravity. You're going to reap the what? The natural consequences. God says, don't, don't jump off stuff. You'll fall. And it'll hurt. You know, he said, and so when he says, don't break my law, my moral and spiritual and ethical standards, because when you do, you're hurting, your, you're going to self-destruct. It brings, it brings the natural consequences of sin. I decide to abuse alcohol, and just like my buddy in high school, all of a sudden I get cirrhosis of the liver and I die as a young age and leave a wife and leave kids. Was God happy at that? No. But he's saying the wrath of God was on him, but as he continued in his sin, he said, no, no, the wrath means the natural consequences of sin coming your way. Don't do that. And God's frustrated at that and angry at that. Turn around. Repent. It works with society too. I've said this before. We create a culture of abortion. We even celebrate it. We even have people running for president guaranteeing they'll protect the rights of people to snuff out the life of unborn children. And we go along for decades and realize we don't have any great statesmen or statesmen or stateswomen who are capable of leading a country and wonder why don't we? Well, we killed them off before they were born. We are getting the natural consequences of running away from God. And where it's happening is a culture. We, we create a culture here in Georgia years and years and years ago. We make divorce easier. We go to no-fault divorce. and you know, So we really create a culture of divorce. And now the family's disintegrated and we're wondering, what's happened? God help us. We did this. We did this. We're reaping the natural consequences of our sin. And God said, and that's why He said, no, don't play in the street. Don't jump off the balcony. You're going to hurt yourself. The wrath of God remains on us. If we are not in Christ, we are in terrible trouble. God's wrath is judicial, always just. God's wrath is parental. He always loves us. He's angry when we train wreck our lives. But third, God's love and wrath will never be understood unless we understand the cross. Look at that cross up there, the cross of Christ. We will never understand that God can have a furious love and a wrath that is loving until we understand what He did on the cross. He looked at our sin. Let's back it on up. How, what do we do if we are in our sins and the wrath of God remains on us? If we are already condemned, we go back to verse 16 and cling to it. For God loved the world in this. He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, will not be lost from a relationship with God, will not experience uh, spiritual death, will not remain dead in their trespasses and sins, dead to God, apart from God. They will not remain, but instead they will have eternal life. Quick lesson on God's nature. The Bible says that God is a holy trinity. Three in one. One God who expresses Himself in three persons. God the Father, the Lord God Almighty, God the Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. So when, when Jesus came and went to the cross, it was God Himself, 
the furiously loving God who went to the cross. He said, my sin will be paid for because I love my standards. but I don't want them to have to pay for it. I love them so much that I'm going to pour my own bowl of wrath on myself. And he went to the cross and arranged for the full wrath of God Himself for human sin to be taken upon Himself. God laid on Him the iniquity of us all. How great the Father's love for us. How great the Father's love for us. It cost Him, it cost the life of God the Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So on the cross, every time you look at it, the full love, the love of God was expressed fully and the wrath of God was expressed fully. All in the same place. And He did it to Himself. Is that beyond us? Is that hard to get your head around? Yeah, it is. It's because we can grasp that much of it, but it defies definition. Our God is an awesome God. That's what we mean. That's what we mean. He's huge. He's loving. He's wrathful. He's just. He's pure. He's beyond us. His love is incomprehensible and His wrath is incomprehensible. It all met and was satisfied. His love and His wrath on the cross for you and for me. And if you believe in Him, you will not perish. You will have eternal life. You will not be separated from God. You won't have to atone for your own sin. He will do that for you. You see, because we put ourselves in God's place, he put, our, he put Himself in our place. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And He says, if you'll believe on Me, I'll give you eternal life. For there, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is no wrath remaining on those who are in Christ Jesus. Because it's already been paid for. It's already been taken in by God. So, well, Pastor, what, what does believe in Jesus mean? Quickly, it means this. It means that we understand who Jesus is and what He did when He died on the cross and rose from the dead. He atoned from our sin. But it's more than just acknowledging the facts about Jesus. It means it carries with it the idea of placing then our total reliance and trust upon Jesus and His atoning death on the cross as the only thing sufficient to atone for our sin and to reconcile us to God the Father. We put our total trust in Him. We put our total faith in Him. It, it, it speaks of establishing a relationship with Him in the sense that we give ourselves to Christ. We give ourselves to Him and we follow Him. It carries with it the idea of obeying Him. It's, it, it is, and it is beyond the ability to fully define. But we give ourselves to Christ. And if you do that, you'll not perish. You'll have eternal life. It starts now and goes forever. Pray with me. So Lord, I pray that You'd help us. Help us now to see You in all Your glory. In Your loving wrath, and Your furious love. Show us, we pray. Show us Yourself as You really are and show us ourselves as we really are. 
Lord, that we have put ourselves in Your place. Help us to repent and follow You. Lord, I pray for those here who are already Your followers. I pray that they would have a greater appreciation and understanding of who You are and what You've done for us. And that we would live in a greater sense of awe and reverence before You as we are also filled with the giddy joy that comes from being in Christ. And I pray for those who have not become Your followers yet. I pray that today they would take the warning and that they would take this only way out, that they would flee the wrath that is to come by coming to You. And Lord, we give You thanks for these things. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcasts, video, and more.